I can't think of a better tradition in which to be a Christian than the Anglican one. I mean, starting on up at the top, I mean, Jesus is Anglican and God's Anglican and all the people in heaven are Anglican <laughs> and you're going to be Anglican one day, whether you like it or not. So you might as well start early. I do hear <laughs> part of the Herald Anglican sing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Welcome to the Stand Firm Podcast. I'm Nick Lannon of Grace Anglican Church in Louisville, Kentucky, and I am here today with Matt Kennedy of the Anglican Church of the Good Shepherd in Binghamton, New York, and J.D. Koch of St. Luke's Anglican Church in Hilton Head, South Carolina. How are you guys doing today? Wonderful. Great, Nick. Thanks. Matt's been a fun couple days for you online, hasn't it? Yeah, it's excellent. <laughs> I, I did not know that I am a nightmare father. That's what <laughs> someone wrote an article over. Based the rest on of us knew. Yeah, yeah. well, I, I just been, been waiting. This is this is an opportune time to call you to repentance. And, and... <laughs> <laughs> who would yeah, have thought, Matt? Before we did stand firm, you had a paltry like eleven hundred followers, and then after saying some strong things on the internet yeah. for a couple of uh, years now, you're like you know busting, bumping up against thirty five hundred or 4, yeah. 000. But it's not. Yeah, but see, now it doesn't matter anymore because Elon Musk has decided to give everyone blue checks if they just pay for them so you know the, the, the illustrious goal of getting a blue check is now gone so that's true mad kennedy frustrated elite <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. well it's a little bit like now he's it's like the uh the diploma mills where you can buy your doctorate you know right. that's the rest of us just um live in, in deep smoldering envy and contempt uh, <laughs> we so. should be clear for the record that <laughs> matt is only a nightmare father i believe for gently paddling his toddler aged children is that yeah. right so yeah, like right. We're, we're not talking about craziness and, here and the article was written by someone probably an atheist, someone from the atheist initiative or something like that no i love um, one of the people that's coming back on you is like like some one of these ridiculous memes of like these anonymous <laughs> accounts that have 17 followers and i was like you know <laughs> i mean come on buddy your parents haven't evicted you yet um right but, but it was retweeted by um, it was retweeted favorably by of of, of Putin, Vladimir Putin, <laughs> an ACNA priest from a diocese, which we'll probably talk about later. But but an, an ACNA priest retweeted it favorably. Well, you know, I've got I've seen this happen um, yeah. in 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 person, not on Twitter. Uh, I'll go ahead and let you just take all the take all the blows online. <laughs> but we taught through this book called uh, Parenting by the Book by a guy named John, Doctor John Roseman, and I recommend the book to anyone. And he's this guy who was a totally leftist secular psychotherapist, a child psychotherapist for many years, and then he got converted. And so he got dramatically converted so much so that he um, he basically rewrote all of his old books and said, I was operating under false pretenses, the wrong foundations, and I repent and I was totally wrong. Wow. And so he goes through and he begins to talk about the influence of sort of, you know, secular feminism and, you know, Freudian ideas and all the way down the line. And he has a whole chapter on discipline, you know, corporal punishment. Wow. And, you know, I'm teaching this, Laz and I are teaching this in a class with people who are variety of places in their faith journey as one might say today and you would have i mean you could have heard you know a pin drop uh when we were talking through this people you know like didn't know what to do and of course he's very yeah. clear about how it's not a you know there's not one way to do it and there's all sorts of you know there's obviously sinful um evil things you know we can but there's a but there's a, a connection from the bible about thoughts and actions being corrected in and through our bodies you know that's and so he's and so he, he leaves it open as to how you were going to you know, I was just reminded, 
recently with I was my love for Tabasco is that one of the ways that I was corrected of my um, foul potty mouth as a young child was to have to uh, partake of the nectar of Louisiana's uh, hot spice gods uh, at times. And so it's like that backfired on me. That's awesome. Because now I could drink Tabasco by the gallon. But you know, that was very instructive, you know, like washing your mouth out with soap sort of thing. You know, it's very instructive to have an idea actually have physical manifestations. So anyway, it was, it was just funny reading through that tweet thread because I was sitting there saying, this is, um, was, you know, yesterday, contemporary wisdom for not just the Christian, but the Christian world, you know, portrayed from the Bible, spare the rod, spoil the child. And yet, um, and then, so the, the hardest part is you have all these people who are sitting there in the middle of a world run by spoiled, rotten children who are, who are in their forties and fifties still acting like 16 year olds. And they're saying, you're wrong, you know, you know, like, well, um, you know, I think I'm going to try something else here because I'm sitting in the middle of a, uh, you know, of a, a nightclub with 50 year old men wearing uh, t-shirts hitting on 20 year old girls and all the, you know, all of the, like the arrested development of the world we see. And you say, well, maybe there was something to uh, the old fashioned ways. And so I thought, I just thought it was great. I mean, Matt Kennedy, you know, making the right people mad on the internet since, <laughs> You know, 2007. I love I saw, it. I saw an ad for man-sized teddy bears Yeah, for single women to snuggle with. And it's just like, you know, a couple people needed to get paddled as toddlers to help them grow up yep. a little bit. <laughs> yeah, and that's why I hope there's not a, it's not a contempt for this. You know, it's like, remember, we, we talked about it years ago, Nick, when they had that, uh, was it on Vice? They went like the Jap Japan mm -hmm. undercover where they had the yeah. hugging have you seen these things? There was a these hugging clubs where you know it's, it's explicitly non-sexual. Uh, you get thrown out if you if you you know try to make it so. But it was for people who just needed to be hugged, they and it's don't like, have any relationship with anybody at all, and they and that's pay, not a, pay that's somebody not a for a cause hug. for contempt or no. or I mean yes alarm, but really if that doesn't break your heart, if that doesn't um, you know cause you to pray and 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 you know wonder or you hope that somebody is, is in that community witnessing to them. You know, I mean, that's, that's the prayer. I was actually struck by that again today as a part of Philippians was taught at our um, clergy conference. And I was like, hashtag post mill, Matt, just so you know, because I never we noticed have to do that, that show like very soon. Well, we I don't do know it. enough about it. I'm just trying it on, but we could get an REC, <laughs> one of our REC, dear REC friends um, to come in and, um, and teach us. But I want to tell you, I saw this. Paul at the end of Philippians, Philippians, Colossians, there it is, uh, says this, uh, greet every saint in Christ Jesus, the brothers who are with me greet you, all the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. So Paul, under house arrest, had been in the process of converting and witnessing to the people in Caesar's household. I mean, I knew that, I've read that before, but it was just in light of all the things we've been talking about. I was like, of course he did, because we are... There's somebody in Xi Jinping's household or in his circle right now who is who is who is who is infiltrating that. Like there's somebody in North Korea. There's somebody in the world right now that is bringing the gospel like Paul was, even in the midst of his distress and persecution. Um, and that's the confidence we have. Anyway, I just really I just was struck by that. I don't know why, other than to say 
you know, someday you'll, you'll, you'll thank me, Matt, someday. <laughs> so when, when, when All that final trumpet the gospel blows, in prison, therefore, Coast Mill. No, no, <laughs> he didn't share it. He was successful in the household yeah, of Caesar himself. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. I used to make fun of people, or not fake fun, I used to question these people who were Christians who said they wanted to infiltrate the halls of power. And I think that was to my you know, discre- not discredit, but to my, um, I think I was wrong about that. I think that's exactly what we should be trying to do. And that's what is happening. So anyway, time will tell, Matt. Time will tell. Well, this week, for once, we actually have a smooth transition from our witty banter to our topic of the week. Matt, in addition to being a nightmare father, you're often accused of attacking the ACNA, or at least some of its more prominent clergy online, and yet you joyfully pastor an ACNA church. Indeed, we all joyfully pastor ACNA churches. Why? Why have we submitted ourselves to this body? Would we recommend that other people do the same? Surely there are pros and cons, but do the pros outweigh the cons? So Matt, starting with you, our resident ACNA critic, why would someone join? In fact, amen. (laughs) Why would someone join an ACNA church? I mean, you know, there are problems in every church. So I don't know of a major denomination right now in the U.S. or in the West that isn't in some way struggling with the incursion of wokeness into the into the ranks. So so the fact that we are, too, is, doesn't say much other than the fact that we are we're, we're a church in America at the present time. And can we just define um, wokeness as fear of man rather than fear of God? I think that's yeah, sort of basically yeah, the, the right yeah, I mean, way to define we, it. So. Right, right, right. Um, yeah, no. So the so that's the. I mean, there's going to be a controversy in any church you go to. Primarily, right now, I think it's going to be surrounded uh, dealing with the context of wokeness. But so I think you're just going to have to choose which 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 church to go to and which denomination to belong to. And I I can't think of a better tradition in which to be a Christian than the Anglican one. I mean, uh, starting on up at the top, I mean, Jesus is Anglican and God's Anglican and all the people in heaven are Anglican <laughs> and you're going to be Anglican one day, whether you like it or not. So you might as well start early. I do hear <laughs> Park to... the Herald Anglican sing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's in the Anglican Bible. Anglican church. Right? Just in the um, Bible. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I I think that the ACNA has a great, a lot to offer. I mean, that's one of the reasons I do cr- critique those who I think are trying to take us off in the wrong direction so strongly and publicly is because the ACNA has the potential to be a leavening and a wonderful influence um, in the United States. Um, and I think it's, like I said, just the best way to to grow as a disciple within the, with the Anglican tradition is, I think, the best way to grow as a disciple of, of Jesus. You have historic liturgy, you have classic doctrine encoded in our third nine articles, and which, have, which for the ACNA is... Uh, has been affirmed as authoritative when we when we um, when we uh, signed on to the Jerusalem Declaration, which I think JD will talk about uh, talk about later. We have we have solid doctrine. Um, we have solid liturgy and worship. If you're if you're worried about you know your church, uh, your non denominational, aka you know, Southern Baptist church, um, going off the rails and the and the kind of uh, seeker sensitive worship stuff. There's some of that in Anglicanism too, but the the whole. The foundation of Anglican worship is is historic, traditional rites and prayers have been handed on down to us from the earliest ages of the church, reformed during the, the Reformation, and that we still say and practice today. So you you have centuries upon centuries of thought and devotion built into our into our liturgy, um, which was in itself created. It was all that all came from all our our liturgy is is grounded in and flows out of the scriptures. So we we pray God's word back to them. So. I mean, just raising children 
I have my kids are now in their twenties, some of them and uh, other ones are just in their tweens, but, but raising children in, in a tradition like that, like we have, it's become the language of their heart and the liturgy, liturgy has the day in and day out morning prayer, evening prayer, those kinds of things, the, the rhythms of life that, that could be communicated to your children in which all every, all every day throughout the day, they, they have, uh, they have the the language of of scripture um, ringing in their ears and in their hearts. Um, I, I just can't think of anything that does does that better um, than Anglicanism does. And and the only the only option for you, I mean, I think the only viable option for you right now in North America is the ACNA. If you want to be an Anglican, um, the Episcopal Church is not a church, and the, you have there are some good continuum churches, um, I guess, but they're few and far between, and some of them are very strange. The ACNA is, I think, no offense to my continuum listeners. I love you. I love you very much. If you're listening to us, you're obviously not not on the strange part. And of course, there are strange ACNA people too. Um, but but by and large, I think that, that if you if you're looking for a place to to enter into the Anglican tradition and and thrive, the ACNA is your best bet in North America right now. Sorry. The last thing I want to say is, just, you know, you you know, the the great thing about our our, our polity is that you can you don't have to uh, join a, a region of the church or a, a, a section of the church that's given itself over to wokeness where there's lots of the, the our structure is such that uh, for example the diocese that I'm in the diocese of the living word is pretty much sealed off hermetically from uh, from say c4so there's no way that the influence of the woke Anglicans can infiltrate our denomination our our diocese because our bishop has very strongly enforced the boundaries that anglicanism pr- provides the the confessional boundaries and the and the requirements that the rectors and our priests uh, subscribe to this right um, so uh you, you all, all that to say is because one part of the acna might be succumbing to wokeness uh you wouldn't you wouldn't want to deduce from that that the whole thing is going to sink it's uh the polity is so is is uh, organic enough and confederate enough um, that it doesn't <clears throat> depend on on one bishop going south. And right. if something and think, has happened sorry. or is happening, it's because you love the body that you point it out and take it to the doctor and say, we need to fix this, not because you don't like the body, but because you do. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the one of the great failures of uh, on my failures and the failures of those who were of my generation and the generation earlier in the Episcopal Church is is silence. You know, we. we... You mean like the greatest generation? No. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> the. Uh... <laughs> I'm Gen X. I'm not Boomer. Um, okay. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, there was this. There was this kind of. Uh, there were, of course, some strong voices in the Episcopal Church before its fall, but uh, but by and large people were very comfortable yeah, too polite and polite and so and so you had when things became really egregious you had people objecting but there were there were many many steps before you come to someone like bishop spong or bishop pike you, you there, there 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 are certain institutional steps that a church has to take before it gets that far down the road and well, it happened at a local level like the first the first rector that allowed you know an associate out of seminary to begin questioning 
you know, uh, divine foreknowledge, for instance, you know, right. and kind of having a, a Bible study on on the possibility of open theism. And, you know, who are we? We're not closed minded fundamentalists. Like we have to be open to the scholarly consensus and, 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 and all so as soon as that began happening in little pieces, drips and drabs here and there, you know, decades ago, well, then the full flowering of that we saw in 2003, uh, would, did God really say anything at all about who should be married and how and to whom and for under what credentials? And the answer was, well, no, as far as we can tell, you know, there's a lot of confusion. That's a long discussion. And as Al Mohler pointed out um, way back uh, then, I think it was about 2008 or nine, he said, you know, by the time you got to debating the, the reality of who can be married, you know, under God, you've lost the plot, you know, decades ago, which of course we, has been well-documented. It's just painful that we, you know, we have the foresight or we have the history now to watch how that happened. And so you in particular, you know, and we're, we're at the, at the epicenter of the divide, but, but have done a wonderful job, I think, of helping point out those, the small little infractions and the small, you know, the, the, the little things build up to, to creating a culture of, of essentially a culture of unbelief, of skepticism, contempt, and unbelief is what, is what we see masquerading as churches up and down the main line. Um, and that's why I keep telling people when they're joining the ACNA, is that we have built into the the framework sort of fail safes, you know, from our constitution that talks about how many, um, you know, uh, how constitutional amendments to the entire province would be made. You know, it's very difficult years and 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 various percentages and things from the constitution to the fundamental declarations of the province that explicitly outline what our uh, where our theological foundations are found, you know, which include the 39 articles, which include the formularies, uh, the 1662, the ordinal, these things um, that have not changed. And on top of that, not only do we have these bones, these these cornerstones upon which our church is stated, uh, I mean, situated, we have the checks and balances uh, within the leadership itself for the college to remove a bishop if necessary. You know, we have the, uh, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, but I know if, I know a bishop can now remove, uh, I mentioned the other day uh, when I was instituted recently, there was an, uh, it turns out it was a return to the 28 ordinal, uh, what a good REC friend of ours pointed that out to me, because I thought it was an innovation in the um, institutional rector where it says at the end, it says, um, we hereby reserve to the bishop and the diocese of blank and his successors full power and authority to revoke these presents whenever under canons he shall have just cause so to do. That was an addition. And I went back and checked my old institution letter that they had taken out in the 79 prayer book. And so now, even then, if you were a bishop, you know, in the standing committee, you have the authority. Uh, now, one hopes it would be exercised, you know, judiciously and, and infrequently. But nevertheless, you do have the authority to remove a rogue and wayward rector in a way that you did not have uh, for decades under, under the 1979 ordinal uh, prayer book. Excuse me. And so I'm grateful for that. When I tell people who are coming into the ACNA, and I just had a conversation with a young man this morning who is in the process of ordination in our diocese, and he was very concerned about some of the developments that he saw. And I had to assure him, I said, listen, I'm concerned as well. And he knew he listened to or he was aware of some of our discussions. And I said, I'm, I'm concerned, which is why we're having these discussions. But I, I believe that if and when and where the bishops and then by extension, the rectors and then the 
um, the vestries are actually made aware of not only history, but the the foundations of our church. Well, then some of them are shocked. You know, some of them say, wait, I didn't know we, you know, what do you mean this, this article on predestination? I didn't know we were Presbyterians, you know, this article on uh, about how infant baptism is to be retained. Like, well, I thought, you know, I, I always thought you had to choose to be baptized. And, you know, I mean, and down the line of the confusion surrounding what it means to actually be an Anglican, well, we have the freedom to simply articulate this in a, you know, what is the CPE word? A non-anxious presence, you know, like we don't have to be, we don't have to be agitated or, or defensive. We can just be calm and, and gentle and firm. Well, let's go back and look at these formularies, these foundations. And if you have a problem with them, well, then let's talk about it. But you have to understand that I'm beholden to them. Like I swore an oath before God that this was the church that under which I was going to place myself and by extension, take the audacity or, or be audaciously speaking for him on his behalf. And so I'm, I'm, I'm beholden to these. And so, you know, we can go through um, all of these, the various articles. And, and in particular, I found the Jerusalem declaration to be uh, sort of a nice shorthanded way of, well, this making clear some of the more possibly contentious convictions of our church over against uh, others. And it's been very helpful. You know, it has been distilled, I think, rightly, um, into three main points, the uniqueness of Christ, that there is no, you know, Peter says, there is no name under heaven whereby a man can be saved. Meaning, as I pointed out, that your unbelieving family and friends are in, are, 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 you know, we pray for them. It put us in a very uncomfortable position. You know, in Article 5 of the Jerusalem Declaration says, we gladly proclaim and submit to the unique and universal Lordship of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, humanity's only Savior from sin, judgment, and hell, who lived the life we could not live and died the death with, that we deserved. By his atoning death and glorious resurrection, he secured the redemption of all who come to him in repentance and faith. Well, contained in that short sentence or those sentences, you have, you know, atonement theories, you have um, exclusivity claims, you have uh, a command and an exhortation for evangelism. You know, we're saying that you are not going to be saved by your good works. You are not going, you're a nice your nice Buddhist nephew um, is in mortal peril. You know, your unbelieving family and friends are, you know, we, we, we pray for them. We send preachers to them and you happen to be one of those amongst in the priesthood of all believers. Like these are the kind of conversations that if you were looking for a kinder, gentler, not your grandparents, Baptist missionary uh, church, where you've come to the wrong place, you know, like we're not Baptist, but we sure share a heck of a lot more in common with, with a good old, um, you know, rugged cross Bible preaching, you know, Revival Week Baptist than we do any of these sort of mainline churches. Uh, and, and almost exclusively, or not exclusively, I think primarily around this this contentious claim that people actually need to be saved. You know, people actually need to to be be converted, to be um, indwelt by the Holy Spirit through faith. And so we have um, Article 9, which would be called Christian nationalism now, because it says this, we gladly accept the great commission of the risen Lord to make disciples of all nations, to seek those who do not know Christ, and to so baptize, teach, and bring new believers to maturity. As I pointed out to our, our uh, church this past Sunday, you know, we have missionaries that go to Honduras, for instance. And I said, we are expecting when they arrive in Honduras, that yes, we'll bring clothing and food and water and things, but it's to the end that anyone that is currently worshiping and sacrificing their lives and their families to the worship of false idols will repent, turn, and believe, by extension, create a um, God-shaped culture, which will have which will have a um, have its own language and sort of uh, particularities to Honduras, but in broad strokes, it will resemble the new body of Christ into whose conformity the Spirit will bring them, which will have sort of will have 
similarities with Christians down through the ages. And I said, that's what we're expecting. That's why we're sending people to Honduras. And that's, a, those are fighting words, you know, to people like, how dare you? I mean, I mentioned the fact this Sunday that I was in a diocese in Europe, which is, um, you know, some of these churches are very far are in places that are um, like, for instance, Istanbul, you know, there's a couple of uh, churches and it was almost exclusively the case that the people who were sent to the churches in Istanbul were embarrassed to actually evangelize any Muslims toward the faith. You know, it was like it was almost like a job requirement. Like you have to go and and uh, only speak to English, English, already Christian English expats uh, or else. And, you know, I was sympathetic to the possible dangers of that. I mean, that was something that's quite courageous. And yet and yet here we are. You know, this is what we are now uh, professing as a as a church, that we are a missionary, evangelistic, Jesus-centric, cruciform, Bible-believing Christian church. And for that, I'm very grateful. Yeah, so the, I mean, the bare bones are there. And I think not, not just the bare bones, but the faith of our fathers is 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 loud and clear, uh, clearly stated in our in the Jerusalem Declaration and our other documents. And I think you're right. I mean, I think one of the ways that we safeguard safeguard that is to put those claims in those declarations up front, right? So uh, people who are going to our new members classes in our in our, in our churches right. need to be brought face to face with these with the articles with the Jerusalem Declaration de- Declaration so they know okay this is what this is what I'm getting into and at least at, at Good Shepherd if someone joins they have to they have to promise that that they will uh, if, if they, we let them join and be members if they don't uphold if they, if they haven't yet bought into their own articles but they have to at least promise not to in, in any way undercut or undermine the teaching. Um, from them, they, we have a more basic Christian confession we make members agree to. But, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's a great way to to prevent division by right up front declaring who you are, and we have we have the uh, the resources to do that. Now, it is interesting. That's uh, that's maybe to help a helpful way of thinking through. If you are interested in becoming an Anglican or joining the ACNA, one helpful way to think through to think through. Where you join is is your local ACNA parish, is your local Anglican parish putting these confessional ideals front and center, or are they hidden? Is there do, listen to a few sermons? Do you hear the the gospel preached? Do you hear do you hear the the faith that's been handed down to us proclaimed, or you know you can are you hearing? you know, why you should vote a certain way or which charities you should give to, or, you know, how you can enact social justice in your, in your moose club or whatever. The, if that's, if that's kind of thing you're hearing, you're probably not going to, you're probably not in a good place. So, but, but these resources are going to help you when you're discerning where to jump in, where to jump in. Mm. Uh, We've talked at length about attractional models of church before. And I use that word hesitatingly because I do think that the gospel and the truth of the Lord's word is attractive itself. But I do think that there's a sense in which, and I feel this in myself, probably especially coming out of the Episcopal church, as we all did, when I am confronted with new young people at church, I often find myself just assuming that they are more liberal than I am, more woke than I am. And I I have to sort of quell the urge to, like you said, hide the distinctives of our church in order to attract them, which is what I subconsciously think I'll need to do. It turns out that when I am upfront with what we believe, what the word of the Lord teaches more often than not, they're on board and they stay and it's wonderful. It's, I think what's, what can happen in this sort of quote unquote attractional 
model is that when you hide the distinctives, you're actually making your, well, you not only are you lying, but you're putting a stumbling block in front of people and tripping them up and they're not going to come to the place where they hear the truth. They're going to stay and be, be led astray, even though that's not your first intention, you just want them to come in. But by the way, you're getting them to come in. You're actually helping them to fall away. That's right. Yeah, I mean, if you uh, as cliche, what you win them with is mm-hmm. what you win them to. And, and if you're if you're too afraid to give them the gospel right off the bat, when are you going to give it to them? And then what are they right. going to do when they hear it? Um, that's right. Really, so, yeah, You've been loving me for twenty years, and you haven't told me that <laughs> I told my me this soul is in mortal peril. Right, but I do think okay. So I think part of the of the issue with the ACNA is the church planting movement, which is a good movement. And I'm glad we do. We have a lot of church planning going on. I think it's a really, really good thing. But I think that um, that some that some some aspects of the church planning movement are really susceptible to the attractional model of of growth, like the atheological ones. Is that what yeah. you're talking about? Yeah, yes, that's right. <laughs> those, <laughs> right, right. those particularly, yeah, those <laughs> ones particular. that mirror that model more of like a cycle bar franchise than they do. Yeah, a, yeah. yeah and so, one. since there's there has in the past been such an emphasis on on church planting, and in fact, uh, I, I I think right at the very beginning of the ACNA in 2009, all the way through maybe 2011 or so. I mean, how many churches your diocese was planning? I mean, that was how. Uh, that was how valuable you were. <laughs> if you, if you were, if you had a lot of church planters in your diocese, you had a lot of church planning going on. Or if you were a church planter, then you were the elite. You know, then you're, then you're. Um, and so that kind of bred this, I think, a lack of discernment in who we, who we raised up to do church planning in a lot of ways. And we were just looking for growth. And part of that, what part of that was, I think, a response to wanting to outgrow the Episcopal Church. Wanting to show that we we were not going to die just because we broke off from that uh, organization. That's what the Episcopal Church people were saying: is that you you know this is you're, this is going to die in the vine. You you're you're too small. You're not going to make it. And so the, the kind of and just, and this kind of reactive push to plant and plant and plant and plant. And I think that had, that's had a deleterious effect. Mm-hmm. But I don't think it's uniform within the church planning community. And, I don't, and I, by any means, I mean I think. Uh, Nick, you might be considered a church planner here, uh, so you're you're pretty solid, I suppose. But um... <laughs> took years, took years of of hard conversations and, and strict church discipline to create the the man you see before you. But I, I think that that emphasis on church planning could be reformed, and Amen. maybe in the process of yeah. being reformed by the Thirty Nine so Articles. Yeah, so that if, because we have our confessions. Well, we, we had someone our... write a letter to us about this, and mm-hmm. um, I'm not going to mention. Uh, this person by name because they actually asked not to get involved uh but there was a defense of the church planters which actually was was simply proving our point sort of unwittingly because the argument was like well a lot of them didn't really know what anglicanism was when they got involved you know a lot of them were were sort of unprepared for some of the historical uh nuances and theological convictions of traditional anglicanism and so when they run up against it they they were confused and or, um, you know, dismayed. I mean, these are I'm paraphrasing, but, and so that's precisely the point is that, that if you, if, if from the bishops down to the rectors, down to the vestries, down to, you know, we're just made aware and, and, or take, let's just say before and articulate these things, um, then it would do what it's has always been intended to do would clarify 
and it would it would push away the the ambiguity and it would sort of explain what exactly the church you're joining believes and confesses teaches preaches and holds to be to be true and that can only be for the good and the fact that people sort of obfuscate or hide behind some of these convictions is just confusing to me which is why you know one of the first things we're doing here particularly after we lost we won our our, our legal battle and we own our property outright as we are um adopting the name anglican like straightforward because because what is anglican well i'm glad you asked you know what what wait aren't you aren't you episcopalian isn't that an episcopal tr- well, no or what was church you know what was and there are all sorts of good reasons to have been distancing ourselves from the episcopal church you know from uh legally and and from our name but now there's no reason not to embrace anglican and 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 push right in at the point where people the ambiguity and the confusion people have and say well have you would I'd love to tell you, you know, here's our prayer book. Let's sit down. Let's get coffee. Let's talk about the the biblical basis and the foundation of our church. I mean, the first thing you need to think about when you when you join the Anglican church is whether or not you agree with the English Reformation. Like, that's the first thing. Like, do you think the English Reformation was a good thing? Do you think that the the solas of the Reformation are positive developments? And uh, are you looking for a church that will not seal those in a time capsule, but are still uh, joyfully working out the current and and, uh, ramifications of this great return to the biblical gospel that was recovered at the time of the Reformation? If you say yes, well then, okay, like, well, great. I've got a couple of churches for you to choose from, uh, among which is is ours, and we could begin to have that conversation. But, but unfortunately, it's not only the case that so many people seem to be ignorant of the of the Reformation, but also if they are aware of it, even within our own church, they're either indifferent to it or actually outright antagonistic to it. And I think that's to our discredit also, because you know the 1662 Book of Common Prayer is um, if nothing, if not a thoroughgoingly reformed uh, Catholic, as Gerald Bray would say, but reformed uh, document that has been uh, run back through the sieve of scripture and is thoroughgoingly Protestant in its in its uh, composition. And so if that's where you first and foremost have a problem with, then then you need to keep moving. <laughs> you know, you need to keep because there's the Antioch and Orthodox Church. We're happy to have you. The Metropolitan Church, you know, depending on your, your sort of social stances. But this is a church of the Reformation. And, and I think that's the sort of choose your own adventure book that you could have in a discernment committee that would begin to help start winnowing out whether or not you really are called to ministry in this church, because there are other good churches but this one is a specific church that has now been, we're only in 10 years in, now been, I've used the analogy, the bone has been reset. And if you ever had a compound fracture, by God's grace, I haven't, but I've seen, I've seen one, one too many. Uh, but, um, but if you, you know, compound fracture when set sometimes takes an entire lifetime to heal, you know, and so that's where we are. Like we're limping, you know, we're, we're still got all the braces on, you know, we still have to get checkups and, you know, it's threatening to not heal or take, but I believe it will but that we're going to have some decades possibly of working out what it means when we have actually reset ourselves, you know, been grafted back into a um, biblical uh, church is going to take some time. And so I'm not surprised by that, but I certainly hope that we have more people join who are aware that that's the trajectory we're going than, than fewer. That, that's the hope. As I think about criticizing people or ideas in our own church. I, I can't help it. This might be a silly example, but I think of my constant hectoring of my children at the dinner table 
over their table manners and put your napkin in your lap and don't use your knife like that and sit up straight and eat over your plate. And I have to do it, you know, every night, multiple times. And they get really mad. They don't like to hear it. And I'm just, this is not for any other reason than to attempt to turn you into a functional adult. <laughs> and, That's right. and this because is, God knows. this is part of what love is. This is part of what parenting is. This is part of what caring is. And I understand that if I was on the receiving end of it, I wouldn't love it either. And we, you know, we try to do this in all humility, knowing that we fall short and are sinners ourselves, but to the extent that we can see things happening in the church that we love so much, we pointed out so that we can grow. I mean, I, I, I think that's a great, a great picture. I mean, I would actually put it a little more starker, maybe that I think Order. we're in a war. <laughs> I think we're in a war actually. And I think, I think the children at the table are at stake. I mean, I mean, I think, I, I don't think the people I'm criticizing online um, and elsewhere, I don't think they're misbehaving children. I think they're warriors from the other side, who have who have who have infiltrated and made and made their way into our camp, and they need to be exposed and defeated or or made to repent. You know, because when we talk about wokeness and, and JD was, I mean, I, I don't think this show is uh, is has the time or the inclination to define it in all of its in all of its glory. But the but the 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 way that people are taught to see through everything to the power binary and and use that as as the basis for their justice seeking is completely antithetical to the gospel. And it's a, it's a wholly different whole whole different religion. And so I think that's what we're, we're that's what we're fighting right now. We're fighting people who are trying to it to to meld. Uh, Christian words and Christian um, Christian forms of worship with this this violently conflict conflicting this religion that violently conflicts with the Christian faith the, the wokeness um, and slapping Jesus's name on it. I don't believe that all I don't believe that all of them who are doing this are aware that they're acting as warriors for <laughs> for an anti gospel cause. I think they they probably are confused. Some of them are probably confused, but. I think I think they all know, or many of them know anyway, that what they're doing is introducing destabilizing narratives into the Christian narrative, um, and, the, and particularly the Anglican Christian narrative, so that they can make it something that it's not. And we talked about this a few, few shows ago that, that evil can't exist on its own; it needs a host. So, so this is I, I, I scratch my head sometimes. Like, why don't these people go to the Episcopal Church? They would be so much happier in the Episcopal Church. Why would you go to the Episcopal Church? It's a dead husk. You go to a living church and you and you suck the life out of it, and then you go to the next one. Um, and if we don't want that to happen to our church, which it, I, I, we need to stand up strongly, name names, expose those who are leading us in a direction that we, that will kill us and hurt people and and and, and um, harm people's souls, and fight the fight. Yeah, get up. And I know, I know that I'm not saying everyone has to be on Twitter, of course, but <laughs> you can find it in your Sunday school class, you can find it your Bible study, you can find it in the, around your kitchen table. But the, the, the primary way to fight it is by teaching orthodoxy, clearly affirming our, our formularies and, and uh, describing them and the teaching the Bible and all that. Um, but the, uh, the secondary way of doing it is by identifying the, the counterfeit. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the hardest part for me in all of this has been to see the as the various divides have come down, whether it's about questions about critical race theory or you know LGBTQ or whatever the, the all the presenting issues are, political divides for that matter, 
that there is an instinct in some of the quote unquote Christian thought leaders to instinctually side with the most secular and sort of godless, uh, professingly secular and godless segments of the academy or of the culture over against thoughtful Christian people who are working through these issues from an explicitly biblical, explicitly Christian way. And so I'm thinking about like, you know, the way that some of the people within the Southern Baptist Committee Convention were um, decried uh, when they had all those resolutions they were trying to do against critical race theory. And so you had like the people using people uh, on one side, on the progressive side, like Robin DiAngelo and Kendi, um, Abram Kendi and, and some of these other people pointing to them, siding with them, having, well, as it were, fellowship with them over against people like I think I remember like Tom Askell and Tom Buck and whoever the names are that were involved. And that's been one of the most disturbing thing, because I think that the united Christian contemplation of these across denominations from a biblical worldview, explicitly Christian, is what's necessary and what's needed. And we're actually seeing that take place. It's just been, uh, been unfortunately more messy and painful than I think it should have been, precisely because these bad actors you're talking about, uh, Matt, are inserting into the conversation explicitly non-Christian ideas and baptizing them and claiming to have sort of the moral and therefore Christian high ground in this. And so, you know, I'm reminded of the debates that we were watching take place at Southern Seminary, Nick, around the the integrationist versus the biblical counseling uh, battles. Remember that? And I was actually um, indifferent to it at the time, but over the past five, six years, I've grown much more um, aware of what they were actually saying is that you can't you can't begin a counseling session with the foundational presuppositions of, of Freudian anthropology for like for their, you know, if you're beginning to talk to someone as a Christian from a Christian perspective with a uh, Freudian framework with the various drives and the ego and the superego and the id and all of the repression suppressions where well, you've you've lost off the bat like you you've already you you've already now that doesn't mean that there can't be some descriptive power to some of that language but that can't be the foundational framework from within which you're working and i think we're seeing that just play out that debate play out across all of these various spectrums i mean various uh uh issues and i think it does get down to that point matt is that i don't think it's winning in all the ways that people are doing this but it's it's the resistance to having people push back on what seems to be your fundamental convictions. Like you seem to be operating from a non-Christian worldview. You know, when you talk about power and oppression and everyone is either one or the other, you know, it seems to be an anti-biblical category. Now we're not talking, we're talking about sin, injustice, justice, righteousness. Those are biblical categories. But when we begin to, to adopt and baptize the, the non-Christian way of the world, well, then we, we've lost already. And I think that's what we're seeing across the board in all of these things. And so, I, I, again, back to the main question at hand, I don't think that all the people coming into the ACNA who have adopted these things are malicious or, or evil or not Christian even, for that matter. But I do think that the responsibility of the bishops and the standing committees and the rectors on down, who are the gatekeepers for allowing people into the um, ordained leadership of our church, have in some cases been either misguided themselves or just flat out failed to clearly articulate the calling to which these people are going to be called. Because uh, you know the, the 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 blank stares and the 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 shock and even the the flat out pushback that I've received over the past. 10, 15 years from people who should have known better when simply reading through some of the 39 articles, like pointing out some of the fundamental declarations. I mean, even as an Episcopalian, I was using these things as a 
as a defense for classic Anglicanism. And you would have thought that they were like, who, who invited the, the fundamentalist wacko to our, um, you know, our sophisticated dinner party. And I was like, you, you know, and so I think that's a shame on what has come before, but we're still young enough and there's still goodwill. And to you out there who are considering getting ordained um, and you're worried about this, well then join the team, do the work ironically, and help us perpetuate this, this wonderful uh, patrimony we've been given and continue to stand um, in this this stream of not the only example of of the one holy Catholic, Catholic and apostolic church, but a certainly beautiful Anglican biblical expression of it. And I, I don't, I'm not afraid it's going to go go down, but I do know that it's going to take some work and some some effort. And we're hoping that um, the more 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 hands, many hands, make light work to that end. And so, uh, please come. I'm sure this is a conversation that we're going to keep having, if not on the show, at least internally, as we raise up new leaders for this church that we love so much. Uh, that is going to be all the time that we have this week. Thank you for listening to Stand Firm. If you want to keep the conversation going with us, you can be in touch, rate, and review the podcast on iTunes. Send us an email at mailbag at standfirminfaith.com, or you can join the Anglicans for the Gospel Facebook group. Thanks to J.D. Koch and Matt Kennedy. I'm Nick Lannon, and Lord willing, we'll be back next week. Until then, by the grace of God and Jesus Christ, we'll be standing firm. Oh, 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 oh,